this is Milford Meanswell, the mayor of Lazy Town, and I'm here to announce that you're listening to the podcast where nostalgia comes alive. Oh, that's right, it's Jake's Happy Nostalgia Show. Oh my! Welcome to Jake's Happy Nostalgia Show, the podcast where nostalgia comes alive. Since July of 2021, Jake and his friends have interviewed professionals in the worlds of acting, directing, writing, puppeteering, and many more. Who will they be chatting with in this week's interview? Find out in this Jake's Happy Nostalgia Show episode. Hello everyone, welcome to this episode of Jake's Happy Nostalgia Show, when nostalgia comes alive. Have you here with us? Thank you for joining us as always. I'm your host, Jake Duffenball. Me today as always, our co-hosts, Chris Bixby and Matt Bingo. How you guys doing? Doing good. Doing good. Hello everybody. How are you, Jake? I'm doing great, Matt. Uh, thank you for asking. Chris, yeah. what do we have for today? Yes, today's guest is a puppeteer and puppet builder. She was an additional puppeteer on projects including Sesame Street. Bear in the Big Blue House, The Book of Pooh, and many more. She was also one of the puppeteers of Trixie on Lazy Town. She built puppets for uh, Puppet Heap and Swazzle, and so much more that we'll talk about later. And here she is, Amanda Maddock. Amanda, happy to have you here. Hi. Happy New Year. Are we still saying that? I feel like we can still say Happy New Year, January yes. 15th. <laughs> I gues Yes. <laughs> I guess. Happy New Year to you, too. Happy yes. to have you here. Yeah, so to kick this off, could you tell our audience a little bit about yourself and what you do? Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, I guess to expound a little bit more on your intro, I do work as uh, I, I describe it in, in three different aspects of puppetry. I do I work as a puppeteer and a performer, um, and I do that for TV and film as, as well as theater. I have a background in theater puppetry. I also work as a builder um, in various studios as a freelance artist that way. Um, and then the third aspect, obviously, is onset wrangling as well. So that's integrating uh, looking after the puppets and, and rigging and working on costumes and, and figuring out solutions on set that way as well. Um, I have a degree in theater um, from a, a college called Skidmore, and that was where my interest, I was interested in being a puppeteer from, you know, when I was a teenager. And so that was kind of a modern theater program where very familiar with the concept of using puppetry in that way in theater. And so they were very uh, encouraging and supportive of my in interest uh, in puppetry through college that way. Nice. Interesting. So uh, could you talk about what your childhood was like before having a career in puppetry? Uh, sure. Uh, I mean, I think um, being a, a child, a kid who was raised in the eighties, there was a lot of influence of like pop culture and cartoons and, and things that way. So a lot of, I describe it like with a lot of play, especially now too, with, um, you know, the movie Barbie coming out this past summer, it really brought up a lot of memories of, I was a very, I had a very heavy Barbie childhood, um, you know, and, and they had so many great, um, toys and you know the dream house all the cars the horses that kind of stuff uh so there was a lot of play that way um when i first got into puppetry my mom always used to like to say that she she really thought it was like a heavy doll playing and especially barbie uh encouraging background that um because there were a lot of times that i would spend a lot of hours like setting up a barbie scene where my sister kind of wanted to just i had a younger sister 
wanted to just get into it, but I was like, no, we have to set the whole scene. Everybody has to get dressed. We have to have like the storyline in place and whatever. And so it really provided a lot of opportunity for thinking about like the production design and story and what the trajectory was and who the characters were, that kind of stuff. <laughs> nice. Awesome. So uh, uh, now uh, what inspired you to want to get into puppeteering as a career? Well, I think, um, so you know, moving on into, as I got a little bit older, uh, maybe into double di digits and being a teenager and stuff, I was really interested in drawing and painting. And I did a lot of classes like that, both in school, but then outside of school, my parents signed me up for art classes because I had a lot of interest. And, um, and then I started doing acting when I was in high school. And um, obviously, again, being a, a kid in the raised in the 80s, loved, you know, raised on Sesame Street, loved those shows. There was also Pinwheel and Nickelodeon in the early days, and then certainly The Muppet Show. And around that time, when I in the 90s, when I was getting to be a teenager, uh, Nickelodeon was showing Nick at Night reruns of various older programming. There were like old Saturday Night Lives and stuff, but they were also starting to rerun The Muppet Show again. And for me, watching the Muppet show and it was so funny and, and outrageous and so many like clever ideas. But it also for me really clicked as the idea of like, oh, that's something where you can make stuff, which I love to do, which is really my favorite thing. And then also perform with it. So like puppetry was kind of the symbolized like the two things that I like to do the most. Uh, and so that's kind of where my interest in trying to pursue puppetry and how would I even do that? And how do you make puppets and all that kind of stuff came from. Nice. Very nice. So I'm curious, what was your first puppeteering job, at least professionally? My first job puppeteering professionally. Well, um, I moved to New York City right after I graduated from college. And the first, uh, I got a job uh, in the studio uh, helping to build some really big puppets um, for the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. And I ended up, they hired me for to help puppeteer those, you know, huge things on backpacks um, and walk down the, the parade route. I don't know, it was like three or four miles or something like that. So these big puppets, they were for, um, I think it was like for the Jamaica Tourist Board or something. And so helping to do these big sort of pageant parade puppets and then it started to rain. So over the course of the parade, these puppets got heavier and heavier <laughs> as they got wetter and wetter. Uh, so that was my very first official professional gig in New York City. Um, but then within a year um, later on, there were then auditions for a show that was going to be coming up called The Book of Pooh, which was going to be on the Disney Channel. And I had um, it was from the creator who had done Bear in the Big Blue House and things like that. So I auditioned for that show and they were casting um, kind of a large ensemble because these were tabletop puppets which is what I had interest and background in in theater. And they were gonna need like 15 puppeteers. So it was like a pretty big cast um, with puppeteers who could not only um, do sort of like Muppet style, but also this again, familiarity with tabletop full body puppetry. So I was cast in that in the ensemble. For the first season I was on, um, my primary assignment was I was on team Owl. So I was performing with Jen Barnhart. Jen Barnhart was doing um, Owl's head and I was the Loved wings. It. Um, yes. And then I also um, would perform, oh, yeah, and I also would perform with Kessie, 
um, when she was added. And uh, yeah, so I w- was a puppeteer, one of the main ensemble puppeteers for both seasons of that show. And that was in um, the year 2000. Nice. Yeah, Book of Pooh is a wonderful show. Yeah, it's great. I'm so happy that it's um, up on Disney Plus and, uh, mm-hmm. and on the air again after many years of not being yeah. seen. Oh, yeah. I know, yeah. Yeah. Yes, I'm glad it's now on streaming. It's it's wonderful. So now I'm a you are an additional puppeteer on Bear in the Big Blue House and Between Alliance. What were those shows like? Yes. So following the two seasons of the Book of Pooh, where obviously there was a lot of kind of overlap in some of the producers and obviously a lot of the puppeteers. Um, you know, some of the main ringers on the Book of Pooh was Noel McNeil and Peter Linz and Eric Jacobson, um, Jen Barnhart. And uh, so, uh, and then obviously the creator of the Book of Pooh um, was Mitchell Kriegman. So he, you know, that in his show was Bear in the Big Blue House. So they came back for season four of Bear. And yes, I was brought in as an additional puppeteer for that. That was the season where Totter was going to mouse school. So they had a lot of mice um on that one and i i was uh cast as one of the mice i got to have like a shy violet uh quiet mouse character and then and uh then just do some additional characters and again that was just like a a really amazing opportunity for me as a beginning puppeteer in tv and uh tv puppetry at that time because obviously again on on that show there was Noel in the suit, but then there was Tyler Bunch and Peter Linz and Vicky Eibner and Jim Krupa as well doing characters and Jim was just you know an amazing puppeteer technically obviously his character work but then also just like he has just so many tips and tricks and so it was it was a really wonderful uh, place to be that way and then similarly they were doing another season of Between the Lions so again uh, Jen there and Peter and another wonderful puppeteer Heather Ash, Tim Legasse um, obviously um, yeah, and then it was a long time ago. I can't even remember what puppets. I, I'm sure it was just wonderful, like background animals when they were in the library or something like that. And that was shooting over at Kaufman Astoria Studios. So that was pretty awesome to get a chance to go there. And and then obviously that's where they shoot Sesame as well. Nice. Yeah, both wonderful shows. So um, what was it like performing Trixie and uh, assisting on Lazy Town? Getting to go to Iceland. So yeah, that was a couple of years later at the beginning of 2004. Um, I had always, well, I think I was a big fan of Iceland because of obviously this, the musician Bjork, and I wanted to know more about going to Iceland. And so having this, it was such, it was such a outstanding opportunity and such an interesting uh, idea that the the creator Magnus Geving, um, who was Icelandic sold this concept of the show to Nickelodeon, but but you know was recording making it and recording it in Iceland. He wanted to be home, um, and and provide opportunities for a lot of Icelandic people. So, um, I won't say it was a culture shock. It was just such a, an interesting culture change uh, to be there shooting that show, and obviously went on to shoot many other more seasons later on, which I wasn't there for, but the initial coming together of this show and also. Um, the puppets being built by Neil Scanlon Studios and, you know, Neil Scanlon Studios, they did um, a lot of the effects for the um, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, the Tim Burton one, but then also now, you know, they're the ones, the studio that does BB-8 for Star Wars and things like that. So, you know, Neil just came in with this. He also, I think originally at the time, his big one was that he had done a lot of the effects um, 
for Henson and things like that with Babe, uh, that movie Babe from oh, the yeah. early nineties. But um, so yeah, these large, um, these pretty big puppets, these wonderful characters. Um, but it, you know, there's always just that um, sort of amount of growing pains when you're integrating puppets and green screen backgrounds and how that works with um, live actors and things like that. So it was definitely an incredible season of learning how to make it all work. Um, and obviously they did. It's, you know, it's kind of a, it was a, it's a great show. And then also kind of a cult show at this point in time, isn't it? Cause like, there's nothing like it. It's just so unique. And I think that was something that was really, really special um, about doing it in Iceland. And then obviously getting to work with this like fantastic um, group of puppeteers who were coming from different places, David Feldman, Ron Binion, uh, Julie, Sarah, you know, and Gumi Thor, who was amazing. Um, you know, and this Icelandic puppeteer who had like gone, you know, figured it out all out so much of this on his own, just in Iceland. Uh, I think of Iceland as being a place where people really are very entrepreneurial and so solve a lot of problems. Um, and uh, yeah, I loved it. It was it was a very intense work schedule, but it was wonderful to be there. And then obviously too the the actors at the time, Juliana and Magnus, and then of course, Stefan Carl, who's not with us anymore, but just like an incredible talent. Um, and then the musicians as well, who wrote all the songs. Yeah, it's, and the making the sets and stuff, it was incredible. Absolutely. Oh yeah, so at least a talent one for one for show. So uh, you were also a puppeteer on Sesame Street for several seasons. Uh, how did you begin working on that? Yeah, on on and off, uh, definitely an additional puppeteer. Um, I think it was, I think I had an opportunity, you know, there's time periods where would, they would have these performance workshops. You could come in and, and do some, uh, you know, be taught some skills and they sort of see where you were at and assess it that way. Um, yeah, that must've been around the same time, 2003 or four. I think it was from that. I also had an opportunity around that time, you know, they invited me, I was doing the Sesame Street float for the Macy's Thanksgiving day parade. So they brought me in as a puppeteer for that. Um, there were some specials, I think it was like Elmo's Christmas countdown. Oh yeah. Um, but then, yeah, it's just some additional days on Sesame when they were shooting. Um, I think they had a bit of a longer schedule a shooting season at the time, kind of in the early to mid 2000s. Uh, but that was really so fun. I mean, I think uh, Fran Brill was still on the show then and yep. you know, getting mm -hmm. with Marty Robinson and Pam and um, learning from Kevin. Um, and yeah, it was great. I think that that was the early days too. It was really, I think he was, gosh, 16 or 17 when around that time when Ryan Dillon was just starting to puppeteer as a background performer and stuff there. That's and then, right. Yeah, and John Tartaglia was still there. Um, Avenue Q with stuff had obviously started and been going on, but John would still come in sometimes. And then, of course, Stephanie DeBruzzo. I mean, like, just, yeah, they have such an incredible ensemble of puppeteers uh, that they can call on. So that was really fun, too. Absolutely. And you mentioned the Macy's Parade. I'm curious, do you remember who you uh, got to do in the Macy's Parade? Ooh, I think I got to do Prairie Dawn one year. Then there was one year that it was a lot of, it was the Sesame characters plus a lot of the international characters. And I'll admit, I don't remember. I, I think it was a character from the Mexico Plaza Sesamo, but I don't remember uh, what the name was. And then, was it Prairie Dawn again? Something, I, yeah, I, I don't remember exactly. And then, then not long after that, you know, there was a few years where um, there was a, a Cartoon Network float that did a show 
uh, Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends, and they had a puppet float oh, for yeah. that. And then I think for like three or four years, then That's I switched cool. over and was doing that float as well, which was very fun, <laughs> 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 including the final year that they did it. Gosh, I want to say it was 2008. It was the last year and we actually Rick rolled the parade. So we had, uh, uh, we had a song, but then, but then Rick uh, came out and did, did his a live Rick roll, which was pretty great. <laughs> well, that's oh, great. that's great. Yeah. yeah. You can find it. It's on, it's on YouTube somewhere. Oh yeah. As, as are a lot of the parades. Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> but I think the Rick rolls specifically is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Uh, so aside from uh, working on the Sesame, uh, the show, you would just mentioned uh, Elmo's Christmas Countdown, which featured a number of celebrity guests. What was it like working on that? Uh, that was fun. I think one of my very particular uh, amusing things was they had me because I was kind of like an additional additional puppeteer. There were moments where um they actually had me be the celebrity stand-in when they were working out the camera blocking and stuff. So I think at the time I was the stand-in for Cheryl Crow and then also Jennifer Hudson or something like that. Like that's kind of what sticks out in my mind the most of getting to like be there with the puppets and lip syncing their song or something, standing up on the stage <laughs> in their place till they were ready to go. <laughs> nice. Wonderful. So, uh, now, uh, going back a bit to uh, tabletop puppetry, what was it like getting to work on It's a Big, Big World? Oh, It's a Big, Big World. So that was, um, right, yes, another project um, from Mitchell Kriegman a few years later. And I came in kind of just from time to time because that point um, I had started working, Puppet Heap had started, Paul, uh, Paul and Draco had started Puppet Heap. And we were doing a lot of, uh, sort of workshopping uh, and pilots and things that way. So I was kind of focused on that, but it was a wonderful opportunity to be asked to come back and um, work on It's a Big, Big World um, with so many uh, great puppeteers I had worked with before. But then obviously what was different and interesting that that time around with that show was that the um, people performing the puppets were also the voices. So they were as opposed to with a book of Pooh was obviously the classic Disney voices from Winnie the Pooh doing that. And these were these people's original voices and characters. Um, and then obviously it's a big, big world as a departure, you know, it's taking place in the Amazon. So there was a lot more opportunity to do creative blocking about, um, you know, trees and levels and jumping and obviously monkeys and birds and the sloth that way. So I, I enjoyed that um, opportunity um although my my exposure to that season was limited because i was just kind of coming in from time to time hmm. so aside from a uh, tv and film puppetry you were also a puppeteer and wrangler for uh, no strings international uh can you kind of talk about the work that you got to do for that yes no strings is a really special organization uh kind of born out of the you know it was a brainchild um of this gentleman named Johnny McGlade, who comes from a, an aid, charity aid background um, out of the UK. And he paired up with Kathy, um, Kathy Mullen and Michael Frith, who obviously have just this like incredible history, career, talent of, of projects they've done and, and you know just have so much knowledge about puppetry. So it was this wonderful idea of using puppetry uh, as a tool 
for outreach um, for these just really you know devastated areas. The first film project that they did that I wasn't involved in was for um, Afghanistan, and it was about uh, landmine awareness for Afghanistan, and and it was essentially a story that was tailored to the to the region. It was kind of like a Pinocchio story, but it was more like a carpet boy uh, who who then made all these mistakes um, and learned about landmines and where they were and, and things that way. And they brought this film to Afghanistan and to villages. It was somebody who rode around on a motorcycle with a sidecar that had a screen that would pop up and they would drive to the villages and it was translated into a local language and they would show it that way. And it just, it, it was such a meaningful uh, concept of of bringing these ideas and like another way to tell a story, another way, maybe something that would really like stick with young audiences or something that way because they were seeing something so unique and playful and and entertaining, right? When you see something entertaining, maybe it hits you a little deeper as opposed to just like having to read a pamphlet or something like that. Hmm. So then uh, a couple of years later, I got involved when uh, after the we did some films after the 2005 tsunami that happened, you know, in like Indonesia and Thailand and that area. So the first project that I helped out on was a series of films that was like tsunami, earthquake, landslide, flood, and like peace building awareness. And we did these five short films in New York City. And then I was able to be part of the outreach team that then traveled to Indonesia um, to work with to help one with translating it, they translated into several different languages, but then traveled, once we arrived in Indonesia, going then specifically to the island of Bali where they were having um, a week long workshop of training all of the people that were gonna be doing the outreach on the ground in different regions, some puppetry and how to introduce these films and how to have puppetry like in the classrooms or in the villages, in addition to showing the films. And that was just incredible. Um, to to work with people that way who are these aid workers and giving them an opportunity to have like another tool in their toolbox in order to have outreach that way. And it was just, it was such an amazing group to be affiliated with because we're doing these like wonderful, extremely high quality little films. I'm having this opportunity to learn this way. We're making just this like beautiful little art, but then also on the other side of getting to see them like showing it to kids, like at the end of the week in Bali, we went to a classroom and got to see the kids, some some school children watch the films and then see how the outreach people did it afterwards. Oh, wow. So it was just, uh, it's it was a tremendous um, organization and, and gone on to have an opportunity to work with a, a few more of them. We did some for, um, after the war in Syria broke out and then some in Africa as well, but they, they've done just, they did some about the, after the earthquake in Haiti and, yeah, they're just, they're wonderful people and amazing artists. Yeah, it's been wonderful to be affiliated with that organization. Nice. Very nice. Now, moving on to more of your work with Henson, you've also built and wrangled some puppets for Puppet Up, uh, which for those who don't know is uh, more of an improv kind of thing. Think of whose line is anyway, but with puppets. <laughs> That's the best way I can describe it. What's it like working on uh, Puppet Up? Sure. Yeah. I've looked after a lot of the puppets for Puppet Up um, for, gosh, it's been like um, 10 years now or something like that. The first time I worked with them is when they did a run in Toronto um, in 2013. Um, 
that show is is so it's been so fun to work on for 10 years you know even though it's a live show and it's quote unquote like the same but it never is i mean there's just there's so many talented um actor improvers puppeteers um and i really enjoy having it you know it feels like a family at this point in terms of how they run it and what they're working on you know for better or for worse it's a family but i also but i really enjoy um talking if like friends come see it or people that I know or just hearing audience members say like I didn't really know what I was in for I didn't I didn't like I understood what they were saying like oh sure improv but I just had no idea that like they would be that funny or how they do it and it's kind of a show within a show and that they uh, have screens and cameras so you kind of get to see how people work with these puppets like like similar to how it is on set and yet it's also a live show at the same time and we have the puppets out on display it, so you can see the the actors sort of choosing what character they're going to do as as they're getting into the this the setup uh for me as a wrangler it's a pretty straightforward job i mean there's not usually any kind of emergency in the middle of a uh of a skit or something like that so it's just like getting to hang around with my friends and look after puppets which obviously is something that i like to do <laughs> definitely wonderful to hear of course um uh also like getting to work on the happy time murders happy time murders was a huge build and a huge shop and you know the, just trying to um fill the puppet world with all these background characters constantly and trying to also be ready to um, make adjustments as things went. Um, it was so fun to also be around um, Melissa McCarthy and um, Maya Rudolph, who's a particular favorite of mine and, and see all these really great sort of uh, quite famous uh, actors who are great at improv, who were all just also the nicest people that I had encountered in a long time. Um, but, you know, and see them sort of get used to working with puppets and puppeteers and holes and things that way. Um, it was a really intense uh, couple of months. You know, we had long hours and things that way. But um, Brian Henson is kind of a master at, in terms of like visualizing puppet setups and puppet holes and how to shoot things that way. And, and that is a real luxury because, you know, working sometimes on other projects where either the DP or the director hasn't worked a lot with puppetry. There's kind of a learning curve and initial time of, of, of trying to explain <laughs> um, or integrate how the puppets work and with what the shots that they want and stuff. So that's sort of my main memory and takeaway was it like, it's just such a strong core of puppet knowledge when you work on a, a Henson project like that from the director all the way down to the you know the costumers and the and the puppet shop and obviously the puppeteers and things that way nice mm -hmm. uh, so you also speaking of henson you also built puppets for the dark crystal prequel series the dark crystal age of resistance could you uh, talk a bit about that yeah i i had really just um i i think i helped i was helping to create the starting the, the fleet of Gelflings. Uh, it was early on uh, in the build. Those builds actually, that build kind of overlapped with when we were shooting the Happy Time Murders. So I was certainly there in the shop um, getting started with 
the dark crystal build. I think I felt like I, I think I described myself one at one point, I was feeling like a Gelfling dentist. I was doing a lot of installation of mouth plates into their heads. And that was like, because we had so many Gelflings, so many podlings, like we kind of got assigned certain, certain aspects. So yeah, if I, maybe if I wasn't the dentist, like either a dentist or an, or, or an orthodontist is, is sort of how it felt at that time period. And then maybe I got moved on to like assembling some bodies or things that way. But one of the really most memorable parts of, of that build as it was like kind of getting close to its conclusion and, and delivery of going over to the UK was just the integration with the costumes. You know, the costuming department was unbelievable uh, for their execution of the details and the designs. And like, they're just, it was, it looked amazing on screen and looked even more amazing in person, just could to be able to like look through all the layers and see all the beautiful details that they did for those costumes. Nice. And um, as a as a puppet builder, you had mentioned earlier uh, working at a puppet heap for several years. Can you kind of talk about your work with them? Yeah, puppet heap. Um, well, working with Paul and Draco, you know, who just was this incredible designer who came from Henson, but an, obviously an, an quite a special artist on his own right, but developed his sort of puppet building skills and ideas at Henson. Um, but we you know, we shot some original films there, uh, a, a short film called Omar's Mother. We made some hand puppets for and did that. I was one of the puppeteers on that. So that was a very fun thing is to be like, whatever commercial projects we were doing, and then also having these personal creative projects that Paul wanted to, to execute. Um, but yeah, we did some, you know, test pilots with some really great creators from Nickelodeon and other places like that. But it was also around that time, that first couple of years, when I was working at Puppet Heap, when um, that's when they got the contract uh, for the Muppets too. So all of a sudden uh, we have this really big job and all it just what was, I, to my memory, it was literally one day a big truck showed up and delivered all of the, bo the boxes that contained all the Muppets. So, you know, one of my jobs was like opening up and being like, oh, here's Fufu, like, okay. And then, you know, what's this and what's that? And just starting to lay down the foundation of um of puppet heap um per, you know being in charge of the muppets and what the storage was going to be and what needed to be recreated um one of the big jobs bigger jobs that came early on in those days is disney was trying to figure out what they wanted to do with the muppets was um there was a, a period in time where there was they were sort of testing out doing a live muppet show on the cruise lines um oh yeah and so I got to, they wanted um, a Manamana and the Snouts and there there wasn't one. They didn't have any. So I got to build, recreate those three puppets. Um, oh, wow. And there weren't any patterns or anything that way. Um, so it was sort of like, like re-watching the, the skits and then talking to some of the other builders who were at the shop by that point who had some experience in talking about uh, Manamano's eyes being similar to Floyd's eyes that they were kind of those cones and how you closed them that way so that that for me was a, a really fun build in terms of doing like I kind of describe it as like archaeological puppet recreation or something like that and even like trying to match the pantones to get that feeling of that like kind of acidic 70s green right and and all of those things so that was a that was a very fun um aspect for that and that went on to those characters got used for a shoot and a and for the live show on the Disney Cruise Lines. But I think those are the puppets that 
like whenever you see Menomina now and the snouts, like it's those are the ones that I built in 2004 or five or something like nice. that. Uh, wow. Yeah, which is a nice, <laughs> feels, yeah. feels good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So currently you work as a pup builder for Swazzle, Swazzle Puppet Studio. What's working with them like? Uh, I wouldn't say, well, I certainly, now that I live out in LA, I work for a lot of different folks. I have worked at Swazzle. Um, it's been a little while. Swazzle is great. They, they're very open-minded. They're just, they're fun guys that they have a lot of, a lot of uh, skills and a lot of tools and a lot of amazing opportunities. Like, you know, they've just, you know, they're building the stuff for kidding and there was some puppets for like far-flung tin can puppets or something like that. Um, they're just great because they're very responsive and very creative and they love puppetry as well. And I also the same way in that they have a background in performing as well as building. So I just feel like it's a very similar uh, mentality or mindset when I get to work with them. You know, I, um, in addition for building for them, like we all worked together in the last couple of seasons as puppeteers on Cranky Anchors. And you know, we all, I think I met them working in the ensemble on the ABC Muppets show in 2015, I, you know, I was working as a background, one of the puppeteers on that. So it's just, I think it's that, um, that we have a similar feeling because we both work as builders and performers and, um, but they're wonderful too, in that they are, that they have each other as collaborators as well. I think I've maybe been a little jealous that they have each other in business that way, but um, I like mm -hmm. them both so much. So you've also had experience with animatronics on the live tours for uh, Walking with Dinosaurs and How to Train Your Dragon. Can you talk about working on those? Yeah. Oh, gosh. I love talking about working on those shows. Um, I first auditioned for that show in 2008. Um, I had gotten contacted actually by Raymond Carr. Raymond, I knew because he was an intern on Lazy Town. He came as a puppeteer intern. Uh, when we were working on that show and so then cut to like four years later and Raymond had been working with the Walking with Dinosaurs tour a little bit and and said like hey they're having auditions um, do you want to submit and I didn't really know what that show was so I remember like going online and 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 see, looking at an ad and they had footage of the show and I, I remember like like shaking my head and being like I don't understand like that looks like a dinosaur how is it moving what how how what and so I was like I absolutely want an audition so I can just see what the heck this is and what this is about anyway so I submitted and I got to come in for an audition and um they were the show was in New Jersey and I was living in New York so they like brought a whole bunch of us to to the arena where the show was and the audition basically was like now you get to perform a dinosaur like use this use the tools and it was like what huh? Oh, uh, okay. And I remember one of the other puppeteers kind of making a joke and being like, do I need to give you my credit card in case I break it? Like, you know, what's the story? Um, but that was just, it was so cool. I was content with that enough, you know, of like, okay, now I see how these work, these amazing remote control animatronic rigs. And then they brought us down and like showed us how they got put together and how they worked in conjunction with the, the vehicles uh, that drive them underneath it. And, um, and so that was wonderful. But then I got offered uh, a tr initially, like, we want to bring you on, we want to train you where you don't know exactly what 
if or when we'll offer you a role because they were going to be starting a second tour in Europe. So the US tour was still running and they were going to be starting a new one. So they thought they'd be splitting the casts and maybe there would be a, an opportunity then. So I was like, yeah, absolutely. I agreed to the training. It was six weeks that I was going to get paid to learn how to do the show and travel with them around the US while, while we're doing that. And they were kind of would fit in pockets of rehearsal in between the shows and stuff. So that was so fun. Um, I don't know if anybody else would have mentioned it, but it was like, because these dinosaurs run off batteries and they have showtime and maintenance and stuff, they basically, it was kind of like a karate kid training where it was a lot of like wax on wax off. So they, we had like a recording of the show and then they had like a printout. I was doing, they were training me to do auxiliary. So it was the sounds on the keyboard, like, like the dinosaur sounds. And then it was in control of the mouth and the eyes and stuff. So my rehearsal in my room was like, have it all memorized by the time you come to rehearsal was a banana for my, for my, uh, for my control stick and then like hitting these papers. And so I was, I felt like, you know, practicing all of this stuff in my room, but it paid off. It was great. You know, so then when you come to rehearsal, you know, when your calls are and what you're supposed to be doing. Um, and then at the end of that six week period, I actually got offered a contract right away at the timing, the role that I was learning, that person decided that they wanted to break before they went on. So yeah, I went right on to the tour nice. and when we toured in Canada and the U S and Mexico for about a year. And then, um, and then at that point I transitioned onto the, um, the Europe tour, which was amazing. So then I was working over in Europe and Asia and Australia and, and got to work with a whole other set of characters of uh, people, people, characters, the same dinosaurs, newer, newer dino characters. Um, uh, but then, so that company that, that built those creatures, uh, CTC creature technology company out of Australia, they're, they're just incredible. Some of those guys had a background of building some of the animatronics and special stuff for Farscape in Australia. Mm-hmm. That was some of the integration, but then, they just really came up with this unique system um, for how to make these creatures work and how to have them work continuously 12, 14 shows a week, every week, week after week. Obviously we had a, uh, a touring engineering department and skins and, and controls and all of that stuff that did all this maintenance. But it was, it was so fun to be able to travel and to do these shows and be doing them in these arenas. Like I remember at one time, I think when we performed in Mexico City, it was on, it was t- on audiences of like 10,000 every single show and and to have a crowd like be cheering for dinosaurs that you know that I always joke that's like as much of a rock star puppeteer will will get <laughs> performing for audiences of that scale <laughs> um and then so then those tours would happen on and off and then at the same time there was a break in the touring for walking with dinosaurs and that's when they developed how to train your dragon in conjunction with dreamworks so that was in like 2012 and 13 and we created and rehearsed that show uh, in sydney australia at fox studios for several months and then toured australia and new zealand and then came over to the u.s and i think that had some um issues in terms of like touring scope and things that way because that show these dinosaurs the dinosaurs were well now they were dragons and they were so colorful and they were amazing and toothless flew there was a you know a flying rig and you know it was just a whole other level but i think it just kind of proved to be a not completely completely successful touring model so our tour was limited but then it got purchased by a company 
uh, in Beijing, China. So then like a year later or thereabouts, we actually went over to Beijing and had a sit down run of that show for like five or six months um, in that, and that was yeah, in 2014. And then not long after that, then CTC did one more big crazy project where they actually did um, big, uh, huge animatronic mascots for the Sochi Winter Olympics. So at, in that time, I got to go over to Sochi and do perform one of the characters for the opening and closing ceremonies then. Um, and that was another like very surreal, uh, unbelievable opportunity that like, here I am doing puppets in Russia for the Olympics. <laughs> but it was very, it, and it had its challenges for sure. I mean, anybody who's read anything about the Sochi Winter Winter Olympics knows that there was like some infrastructure issues, but um, but the show was incredible and like the art technology and the projections and all of those things that they did for those ceremonies were just incredible, really beautiful what they pulled off. Nice. Absolutely. So even though you mentioned a little tiny bit earlier, uh, one of your most uh, recent puppeteering projects was on the revival of Crank Yankers. What was it like getting to work on that? Getting to work on Cranky Anchors. Yeah, so that was like 2019 and then 2021, I think. Um, that was so fun because I actually helped build uh, the puppets for Cranky Anchors originally for season one back in 2001, working for this artist uh, named Bob Flanagan. He had Den Design Studio. So I helped build those puppets way back when, when I was a very uh, rudimentary early days puppeteer and puppet builder. So all of a sudden to have this show come back and be asked to work on it was was really thrilling and fun. And my gosh, the level of like artistry and expertise in terms of the puppet shop and the um, the set design, like the turnover, the volume, the, the, the detail, the design, it was so fun to be a puppeteer that way because you get handed this like piece of art in terms of a puppet of like, it was such a specific character and then it's in such a realistic set. And so like trying to have an opportunity to explore those things and like show the best aspects of that while also listening to this like goofy track and trying to make good puppetry that way. But all, then also getting to work with these puppeteers, um, Victor Yarrett and Artie Esposito and Paul McGinnis and Alice Deneen, um, who are just like masters of oh yes puppetry but then also like very specifically crank yankers because they'd been doing it for so many seasons um yeah it was a it was so fun to be able to do you know work you know do some like background characters or like the um or the marks is what they call it the ones who are getting prank phone called but then assisting them as well doing live hands or doing a second hand um yeah just it was so fun to be on it and just, again, like a really amazing opportunity to learn from, you know, your colleagues, but also who are masters too. Um, yeah, and then too, and then it's doing that other season in 2021 was like still pretty heavily pandemic times. We had all just barely been vaccinated at that moment in time. I think it was like March, 2021, but still working in, you know, strict COVID conditions. We're all we're wearing yeah. masks day long we're having to eat outside apart from each other but we were so I think just still like so thankful and grateful and having so much fun in and amongst all of the stuff and like yeah just being so glad to to work together and then again yeah just more more amazing sets and more amazing costumes and puppets from the people that were making them and um 
and then obviously too like the directors and the producers John Kimmel and Jen Gore and stuff too just creating this environment of like fun and um and and safety honestly at the same time uh, being really careful it it was uh it was a it was a great it was a great time to to be working there Yeah, and I'm kind of curious, so since you mentioned it was during the pandemic, was it like a situation where only a certain amount of puppeteers could be brought in at a time or like was everyone tested? Like what was the thing with that? Oh, you're, you're exactly right. Yes. So we were, I mean, I think just for the sake of like naming them, like we were the A team. So it was, uh, was it six of us, seven, like core puppeteers. And that was it. There were no, there were, they couldn't bring in any additional ones. Um, I think it was Paul and Victor and Alice and Artie and uh, Sean and Patrick kind of switched off. So it would either be Sean or Patrick uh, and then myself. Um, and that was it. But then there was a whole other B team of puppeteers that were getting COVID tested um, weekly that if one of us, if the, you know, if, if we should all get COVID or one of us has to drop out or if there's an emergency that they were there and being tested regularly that they could come in without it being a health risk that way. So that, yeah, so that was a very different um, atmosphere in terms of additional puppeteers um, for for that season and that it couldn't be as casual of like, oh, we need a couple of extra this day. It's like, nope, that doesn't happen. That didn't happen at all. <laughs> so uh, very recently you were an animatronic puppeteer on the new Five Nights at Freddy's movie. Can you I uh, was. talk a bit about that? I know Yeah, you got that. to uh, work with Chica, right? Yes, yes. So I worked on the build for that as well initially, which was really fun. Um, you know, I work in the, the LA shop pretty regularly on a lot of projects and we had just finished um, a build doing uh, this puppets for the stage production of my neighbor Totoro in that's in London that's been that's been showing so we built these big puppets there and folks were talking about like oh are you going to work on the five nights build and sorry guys I'm old I'm like what's five nights I don't know what what you're talking about they're like it's a video game it's getting made into a movie five nights at Freddy's and I was like that five Freddy uh Chuck e. cheese like so, is it kind of like that so Anyway, I, I learned about what that was. And yeah, so I helped build all the costumes and, and that was a you know, several months long project. And then at a certain point in that build, there were started to be conversations about, about the puppeteers and what the puppeteering roles were gonna be and in terms of what style of puppetry that way. So I started talking about it's gonna be animatronics. Um, you know, and by this point, I was like, well, I have about 11 years of experience doing animatronic puppetry. Like, could I, could I put, you know, submit my name as a possibility, um, you know, from all the stuff that I've had to do with Walking with Dinosaurs and those shows. And uh, yeah, so I was, I think I was on the short list because of my background and my familiarity with the costumes. And um, yeah, so I ended up operating Chica. And the way all of these costumes worked was the, the animatronics, could be on a stand um, and that was the case a lot of the time because they wanted the director wanted them to be not lifelike you know they, they she never wanted anybody to be thinking that there's somebody inside the suit you know that's obviously the whole premise right that these are animatronics that are that have ghosts <laughs> in them mm -hmm. so there's no breathing there's no shifting nothing so they'd be on a stand sometimes and we would operate it that way and I had a control that yeah so I had Chica's eyes mouth blinks looking around her little like expressive top 
top feathers uh, that way. And then there would be an additional set of controls too, where I could, when she was on the stand that I could kind of uh, do head looking left or right or sort of um, like inquisitive stuff. And then there was also some like arms and, and shoulders that would move as well. Um, and that would require a second puppeteer for that. And then other times when there was kind of like more like the stunt parts that they wanted, then there would be, there was a performer who would wear that and she could move <laughs> in space, but, you know, very limited. And we worked on really restricting that style of performance. And then she'd have the animatronic head on as well. And so then I would be working at a monitor um, doing, doing that performance and then, um, and the director would often be nearby uh, communicating, you know, what she was hoping to get out of that scene that way. So that was like uh, about three months that we were there. They shot the film in New Orleans. We were down on location there. And one of the parts that was really great about the film is they wanted a lot of rehearsal. They really wanted to have the performer and us get used to how these worked, um, communication and feedback, not only from the director, but also from the creator, Scott Cawthorn, about how these things moved. So I, that was really, that felt like a very big um, opportunity and bonus on this film that doesn't always happen. You always kind of want more rehearsal time when you're shooting for TV or film um, and you never get it. So that was a great part of it. And uh, it was so fun. Like it was just you know, people are like, oh, you know, how was it working on film long days? And I was like, I loved every minute of it. It had its challenges. Every project does. But oh, my gosh, it was so fun. And then because we had been rehearsing so long before the sets were actually ready and, you know, we were the one set like these characters, with the exception of Golden Freddy, who goes to pick up um, Abby from her house. The, the animatronics never leave the pizza place. So we were just installed in this in this and as they were building it and building it. And then like, finally one day we go in there and it's, it not only is it done, but it's dressed, it's the tables are there. Like, all, you know, every aspect of design was there and the ball pit was filled with the balls. And it was really, uh, it was shocking. <laughs> like, it was so fun. I felt like I was at Chuck E. Cheese in 1985, but haunted and scary. Yeah, it was, it was mm -hmm. a really amazing. Um, and then obviously once the film came out and getting to see, so many of the fans like excitement and and there you know even the debate for a little while we're like no these can't possibly be real like they look too good and and then to have uh, the director and other folks be like no Henson built these and like everything that you see that's the animatronics was there was created was a, was a, an actual performance was an in camera performance and so that that just feels really great as well some um, another aspect in addition to Chica that I helped do was Foxy walking and having to move his arms and stuff that way like that was actually a lot of practical puppetry where we're wearing green screen suits and we've been digitally removed but um and he was a pretty big puppet to try to make walk you know on actually on the ground so that that was uh some of our workouts on set was having to make foxy walk around <laughs> and move and stuff. nice very nice so as we're getting close to wrapping up here we've talked a lot about your work in the past but could you share any projects that you're currently working on um well one more most recent one that i did as well that we didn't touch on is actually uh slumberkins which is a henson apple plus tv show um, oh nice yeah uh, the year before last as well um and i was the character sloth on that and i think the first season out is out and I think a second season is coming out soon. We kind of shot those back to back, um, but that was an amazing 
show to work on in terms of the scripts and the story and that it's a pre-existing um, product and the idea about like feelings for kids. Um, and that, but then the show itself was integration with like background animation and then with puppets. And then we also did a lot of tabletop full body puppets as well, which was a great opportunity for me to sort of call on some of those skills that I had already had or developed on the book of Pooh and in, his, in my own work. And um, those voices were pre-recorded also because they had just wonderful casting and, you know, children's voices uh, and child actors for that and the music too. But yeah, I'm very proud of that one um, because of it, it kind of felt like a culmination of a lot of different styles of puppetry and, and helped a little bit on the build with that one. Um, but but yeah, just the, all the work that we did on set and a lot of really great directors and, you know, Donna Kimball and Victor Yared and Alice as well and Russ Walco and myself and Amy Garcia um, are just there every day sort of solving these puppet problems. Um, puppet challenges, not problems. <laughs> but that was kind of the end of uh, shooting under COVID conditions as well. So that was still like getting tested frequently and and um, and having sort of a limited amount of extra puppeteers that could be brought in and stuff that way. Mm. Um, most recently, you know, we, we had a strike. Um, it, it, there was a SAG strike. So stuff is just kind of coming back from that. But um, over the summer, I had an opportunity to work on some puppet projects, some commercials for Travel Oregon. We did Matt Brooks, oh, nice. who's a great puppet builder, designer uh, up in Portland, Oregon. He's got a company now. And so we did Travel Oregon commercials on location. So we did this like beaver puppet where he was skiing uh, in the snow and we were in the snow at Mount Hood. And then like he was fishing in a river and we were, the puppet was like at the river and we're wearing wetsuits that way. Um, there were some roses and some other, uh, like in a canoe, I'm sorry, a kayak puppet and these boots. Yeah, you should check out Travel Oregon. I think they have the commercials maybe posted on Instagram, but those are really charming. Um, and then I had an opportunity also to work uh, as an extra, as an additional puppeteer, and then also a wrangler on the most recent season of Don Quixote out in Chicago. Oh, um, nice. Love that, nice. I love that show. Love that uh, yeah, and just right. I mean, what a wonderful production! You know, every single individual. I don't think it's just Chicago in the Midwest, but maybe it is. Just like everybody was so talented, but so kind, so kind. Um, and that was a great, you know, flying out there and getting to work with those those folks out there. You know, obviously Haley Jenkins and Frankie, who I'd known previously, but um, but getting to see them you know, being really busy <laughs> and then Stephanie as well. And, and those folks, and then um, kind of a new puppet builder wrangler out there, uh, Frank Cesario, and he's really talented and amazing to work with. Yeah. I just felt very welcomed and it was fun. And I look forward to, you know, what they do next and hopefully be involved if they're doing more seasons, which I imagine they would be, but, um, but yeah, but in terms of like what's coming up next, We'll see. Uh, I mean, things are on the horizon, but there's nothing officially announced yet. And I think that, yeah, that just had a lot to do with the the strike and the timing of when the SAG strike ended and that things are gearing up. But yeah, hopefully I'll be at the shop at Henson soon, helping to make some things happen. And, uh, and then I'm also working finally on developing some of my own theater work and back to tabletop puppetry and starting to dive into that um, a little more um, my personal work in Los Angeles, but I feel rusty. So maybe there's this time trying to, trying to sand the rust off of my own creative work. Uh, <laughs> mm. 
Interesting. So uh, to round this off, this last question that Jake is about to ask, we usually ask uh, every guest. Go ahead, Jake. Uh, thank you, Matt. So of course, you know, this podcast is called Jake's Hopping Saw Show. Um, when you think of nostalgia, when you think of, or in your own words, how would you define the word nostalgia? Hmm. Well, nostalgia, I, I think, think, I don't know if it's because of my age that I'm in my 40s, I'm not in my 60s or my 80s yet, I think it makes me think of my childhood. And so therefore, it's sort of that like warm, happy place, right? So I think, and again, you know, being a child raised in the 80s or something, it's right, it's about the toys and the cartoon specials, and the things that we used to look forward to um, that were special. I mean, it's right. It's it's memories of things that you enjoyed and things that felt special. Absolutely, great words to end on. Awesome. <laughs> Thanks, well, uh, Amanda, great thank you. you so much for taking the time to do this. This was a blast. Oh, it's so nice talking with you. And I gosh, I really appreciate yeah. you paying attention to the hour as well. You've kept it very, very conscientious of the time. Yep. Thank you so much. Yes. Welcome. Well, Yes, and uh, thank you so much for for, for being here, and um, thank you very much for what you've done over the years to be a part to be a part of our lives, and I uh, keep up a great work of what you're doing now. I cannot wait. What uh, what's next in store? Awesome, that's great. Yeah. Oh, one other thing I forgot we forgot to touch on is the um the Coldplay puppetry stuff that you know. Oh yes. Oh, yeah. Stuff. Yeah. So I was part. I'm also part of the Weirdos puppet band. Ah, there. that's awesome. So that is great. Something those ones as well which was fun and uh i don't know if that'll happen if there'll be more of that in the future but that one was pretty was pretty fun have you guys seen that music video that i have did? i've I seen did, it yeah. it's amazing yes. that, was, that was really fun um but and so when do you uh anticipate you're gonna air these this is this interview um probably sometime like maybe early in february or something okay, okay. yeah Great. Yes. All right. Well, keep in touch, Amanda. I'll let you know when this uh, goes up. I'll uh, give you a, a message. Yeah, sounds good. Sounds All right. good. All right, guys. Take care. All right. Happy, happy holiday. Happy Monday. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes, yeah. you too. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. Yeah. Well, you too. Bye. 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 It's goodbye from us as well. We absolutely enjoyed our time with Amanda Maddock. Uh, keep on the lookout for more wonderful interviews coming your way. And as always, what do we say, Jake? Keep nostalgia alive. Take care, everyone. See you next time. See ya. Bye. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to another wonderful Jake's Happy Nostalgia Show interview. Be sure to follow Jake and the crew on social media and stream the show wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And as always, remember to keep nostalgia alive. Bye-bye. <laughs>